Well, good morning, everybody. It's, it's nice to be here in person this week, as opposed to being on the screen um, and in isolation. How about we just pray together? Gracious, loving God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit be upon us now, opening our hearts and our minds, open up to you, your word. May it speak to us afresh and anew. May it challenge us. May it give us hope. May it give us courage. May it give us life. And this is only because you are here with us, guiding us and leading us. So gracious, loving God, I just ask that you be with us now as we listen to your word and as we respond to what you are saying to us again today. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, we're actually kicking off um, a new series that we're working our way through. Um, what, it, what are the letters of John's Gospel? So our new series is called Understanding the Bible, which is actually probably pretty much what really should be um, the messages from the front anyway. We should be really trying to understand what the Bible is telling us and, and helping us to, to understand what it means for us to live our lives um, as followers of Jesus Christ. So in this message series, specifically just looking at understanding the Bible, we're going to be looking at the letters of John. Now, John gives us some clear practical teaching about uh, Christian living. And, and Christian tradition actually has it that the John who wrote these letters is the beloved disciple, is the John of the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel and the letters of John are believed to be written roughly around AD 85. So not at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, not in the very first part of the early church, but actually in a section of the early church which is highlighted by persecution. See, the church was facing some really serious issues at that time. One was the organised persecution of Christians by the Roman government. But there were also two other really pressing and important issues that were facing the church that John is speaking into, especially through these letters. And the first is that there were heresies starting to come into place that were infiltrating um, the church and especially from, from the various Greek philosophies coming in. And so John is trying to put aside some of those heresies. The other major issue that John is addressing here is one of a crisis of leadership within the church. See, John is the last of the apostles. All the other apostles have died off been martyred. Jesus hadn't actually returned. So who was going to lead the church? Who's going to lead the church into the future? See, these letters of John tackle the issues of heresy, but also tackle the issues about who's going to lead the church. What does it mean to be a leader within the church? So let's dive into the, the first chapter of 1 John. 
And I'm going to break it down into little two sections for us today. So we're just going to have, jump into the very first part. So it's 1 John chapter 1, and we'll put it up on the screen for everybody. But if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, please do that. And it says this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him and now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things that you may have full, may fully share our joy. You know, even in that opening four verses, you can kind of tell it's John writing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's got kind of that language that John has there. But John actually, you know, like, like Paul names himself as the writer of the letters, John here in these letters actually doesn't name himself. He doesn't name himself as the author. He doesn't, but what he does is he introduces his credentials as to why he has authority to write this letter to the believers, why his advice that he is about to bestow upon them should actually be heeded. See, the person who wrote this letter, John, he's been with Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. He's one of the apostles, and as such, he has authority to actually offer this advice. He has learnt from Jesus, he has lived with Jesus, and he's continuing to encourage the believers to continue in their faith in Jesus Christ. See, if we were to compare that introduction of John's letter to John, the introduction of John's gospel, we'll actually see that there's, there's lots of similarities popping out of there, but also we'll understand that the language that John is using and the metaphors that he's using are the same. And it flows together and it's important, but it's, it's deep theological meaning that we pull out of this. So let, let's just jump to 1, 1 John verses 1 through to 5 just to see how John introduces the gospel in here, and it says this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. See, John is sharing in this very first part of, of the gospel, but also in the very first part of this letter, deep theological insights. Deep theological insights. You can see the language that John is using just to introduce 
the gospel, but also to introduce himself. And there's one really key thing that is so important for us to grasp hold, just in these four verses at the very beginning of the letter of 1 John. And that is keys around fellowship. See, he's saying here that Christian fellowship doesn't originate from us. It actually originates from God. Christian fellowship originates from God. And as Christians, we have fellowship with God. And by having fellowship with God, we have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with our fellow believers. See, fellowship is that relationship with God that we have that sustains us and and it allows our fellowship with the others to grow and flourish. First of all, we have a relationship with God, we have fellowship with God, and then we have fellowship with our other believers. And it sustains us. Our fellowship with God sustains our fellowship with other believers. And having that relationship, having that fellowship together, not only brings joy to God, but it brings joy within our own fellowship. See, the very opening of this, this letter of John, the first, the first John, is dense with meaning. We could actually spend much longer looking in depth at each of the deep theological thoughts that John is just teasing out in just this very first part. See, John is a theologically rich writer. And at times, because it's so dense and theologically rich, at times it seems convoluted. It seems, you know, like, where's the flow going? How is it happening? It's not a story as such. And we get that when we read the Gospel of John. We get that when we read the letters. But John wants to convey this information as best as he can so that we can have that flow within us, that our lives may be changed. See, I love the parallel that exists between the opening of John's gospel that we just heard and the opening here of John, of 1 John. And the parallel continues on as John continues to refer to God. How did he refer to God in the very beginning of John's gospel? He was the word, but what also was God? He was the light that could not be overcome. So let's delve into the rest of the very first chapter of 1 John, just reading from from verse 5 onwards. And it says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus. So he's, he's been talking about the fellowship, the fellowship with God, the fellowship with our other believers. We've been talking about who, why he has the ability to talk about this, that he has actually been with Jesus, seeing him with his own eyes, hearing him with his own ears, that he's touched him, that he he knows that Jesus is the word of life. Very opening of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is the word of life. And he can testify on behalf of this. But as he says, this is the message, so coming back into 1 John, 
chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practising the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So you can see here already, John's starting to correct some of the heresies that have started creeping in, the incorrect teachings about Christ, about his resurrection, about who he is and, what, and his relationship with God. He's starting to correct all of that. John doesn't hold back any punches in this very first chapter. He gets right into it, right into the meat. So John basically is saying here that if you are not living your life in relationship with God, then you basically are fooling yourself. It's hard. If you're not living your life in relationship with God, and you're basically fooling yourself. You are living a lie. John says we need to live in the light. That means in the presence of God, knowing God's guidance in our life, knowing who we are because we've been won by Christ. He's saying we need to live in this light. We need to live in this relationship with God. We need to live in that fellowship with God. So here are a number of factors that come into play about what it means for us to live in the light. These are the things that are at the heart of this. First of all, that we actually need to live in relationship with God. If we have not come and said yes to Jesus Christ, if we have not come and have a living relationship, if our prayer life is falling apart, if we're not delving into the word, if we're not talking to God, if we're not getting that relationship, then what's, what are we doing? Living in the life means that. that. We actually have to live in relationship with God. But more than that, we also need to live in spiritual awareness. We, we, we're not to live in spiritual darkness. By this, it actually means that our lives need to be changed. Need to actually come and be the same. We need to become more like Jesus each and every day of our lives. You know, living in spiritual darkness means that we have blinkered ourselves, we've blinded ourselves. we actually gone, actually, we know better, and I don't want to hear from God, I don't want to hear from Christ. I, I'm going to chart my own way forward. That is spiritual darkness. It's closing our eyes and not seeing what God has placed before us. It's not spending time in the Word it's not spending time in, in prayer. It's not spending time in fellowship with one another. It's not spending time encouraging with one another. It's not spending time understanding what it means to believe in Christ. 
The third thing I want to share with you that is the heart of living in the light of God is that we actually need to live in fellowship with our other brothers and sisters in Christ. We actually need to live in fellowship with our believers around us. This doesn't mean that we, don't, we, we, that we have to agree wholeheartedly with everything. You know, there, there will be times when we will disagree with things. There will be times when there will be moments of, of, of things of grading. That's just life. That's, that's, that's how we live life. There are times when things don't go right, times when we're grumpy, we're sad, all those kind of things. Have you ever noticed that? When you're living with, with, with people who are slightly different to yourself, there will be times when things don't work well. There'll be times when you think you're right and the other people think they're right. But that notion of fellowship, of living together, of being a part of, is that we also have to come back to the relationship that sets it all up. That's our fellowship with God, our relationship with God. See, our relationship with God helps our relationship with believers. Now, I wasn't going to say this, but I, I, I am now. Because in the, in the moment, because one of the things I find frustrating, and this is about how we live in fellowship with our other believers, one of the things I find frustrating is when I hear other Christians putting down other Christians. That is not fellowship. That is not living in the light of Christ. That is putting our own petty differences above and beyond what God wants us to be. God has not called us to fight amongst ourselves. God has called us to be unified. God has called us that we should be known by the love we have for one another that fellowship, God has called us to correct when there are mistakes. But God has not called us to put people down, but to build them up. This brings me to the, the fourth point, which is we actually need to learn how to confess our sins. If we're to live in the life, we need to learn how to confess our sins. Those that think that they actually live without sin or, or, or that sin actually doesn't matter, you know, the things I do wrong against the plans of God within my life, if you think that that is important, you know, how you're going to live your life, then you've missed the point. We actually need to all know that we fall short of the glory of God that's not to put ourselves down. It's actually to realise that God's bar for our life, God's bar for the whole world is much higher than we could possibly imagine. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short, but we need to learn how to confess it. We need to learn when we do the wrong thing to confess that sin, confess that sin to God and confess that sin to our brothers and sisters in fellowship. Notice that our relationship with God we confess to God, but we also confess to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Fellowship with God, fellowship with believers, and it's made whole and real when we learn to confess. When we are open, you know, and, and I think the problem that we have is that we so often we find it, we, we'll say to God, I've done the wrong thing. 
that's in the privacy of our own little space, our own little prayer life, but we find it difficult to confess to those around us because we haven't developed that fellowship to the point where we trust one another. We trust one another with the deepest parts of our lives. And that's what we need to develop. That's what it means to live in the light of Christ, is to actually believe in Jesus Christ and to put it in action with our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Forgiveness is not in the action of confessing. Forgiveness comes through the action of Christ, through what Jesus has done for us, but we need to ask for that forgiveness, and that is the confessing. And that brings me to the the fifth point about living the life. Once we confess, we have to do this next step, which is repent. And repentance is actually to turn away, turn around and not do it again. Change your behaviour to turn away the sins and change our life. We use these words so often we hear them, sin and confess and repent. It really means, in a nutshell for us, that we're actually putting what Christ has done for us I'm dying on the cross into action in our lives. It means we realise that, yes, we all do things that are not in line with what God wants us to do. And we ask for God for that forgiveness. But as Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, He says, I forgive you. You confess it, the forgiveness has come. But then he says, but go sin no more. Repent, turn around. Don't do that behaviour again. Yet we know that even if we do, we turn around, we are fallen people and we still make mistakes. We still do things that don't measure up to the glory of God. Repentance is a process. Repentance is something that we do and we need to take hold for ourselves. It's about how we change our lives. It's not about to beat us with a stick. It's about to realise that we can have life and life ever. Things will be better. It's not about that making yourself dour. It's about living in life. Correcting that relationship that we have with God and correcting that relationship with our fellow believers. Now, a final point I want to make is this within that, that how do we live in the life? It's the only way that we can have fellowship with God is actually through Jesus. Jesus is the one that makes us worthy before God. And see, John goes on further and and says that that if you think that you are sinless, that you actually have no fault, then not only are you deceiving yourself, you are actually saying that God is a liar, that Jesus didn't need to come and didn't need to die on the cross and the word of God is not on your heart. It's basically you actually don't believe in the good news of Jesus Christ if you say that you have no sin in your life. 
So for me that I keep on coming back when I read the first chapter of 1 John is the idea and notion of fellowship. If you haven't already picked that up, fellowship is incredibly important. Fellowship with God and fellowship with our other believers. We have not inherited an individualistic faith. Yes, we have a personal faith. Yes, it is your decision. Yes, you need to make this decision for yourself to believe in Jesus Christ. But it is not individualistic. We are together. We are in fellowship with our brothers and sisters. We are in fellowship with God. It is a belief and a faith that is together. If we look actually at some of the statements the church has made throughout its history about its beliefs, about the way um, it articulates its faith, then we'll actually see that this notion of non-individualistic but corporate faith is so important. We're actually just going to share together with with you the, the Nicene Creed, it's going to help us actually understand. We're going to say it in a moment. We're going to put it up on the screen in just a second. We're going to say it. And what I want you to notice, some people and some churches have actually changed the Nicene Decreed to actually say, I believe. That's actually not the way it was written. It's actually written to say, we believe. This is us together. This is the fellowship saying it together. It's important that it's not individually, it's all of us believe. So we're going to do something that we would not normally do. We're going to get you to stand up because I actually want you to say this as a statement of faith, as a statement of who we are as the church. The Nicene Creed says this. It'll go up on the screen for us. Let's all say it together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. And in the one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and he was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, the proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We believe one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to the life in the world to come. Amen. Amen indeed. Let's just pray together. Our gracious, loving God, as we start to explore these letters found in 1 John and in 2 John and in 3 John, Lord, help us over the coming weeks to hear your word for us together, 
as believers, as a fellowship. Help us to see when our thinking is going astray. Help us to see how we too can step up and be involved. Help us to see how our life may be changed, may be renewed by a deeper, more full understanding of our faith and our full understanding of what the Bible has for us. A gracious, loving God, we ask that you be with us now in our lives, forever present. Amen.